0: We human beings, especially as as fallen human beings, we tend to swing between two extremes. On one hand, we tend to, at times, fall into discouragement, uh, to fall into hopelessness. And there's other times where we swing to the other extreme and we can fall into overconfidence and assuming things we should not assume. And this is especially true when we think about our relationship with God? Do we have a genuine relationship? Do we have actual real peace with the Lord? We can have discouragement and hopelessness or we can have an overconfidence. And this passage is going to deal with both of those extremes. We're going to deal with this in in three parts. And if you're following along in the bulletin and uh, the summary points, these are meant to be all interconnected and to help us to find that right balance so that we're not falling into this this hopelessness on one side or this uh, assuming or overconfidence on the other side so let's get right into this Luke chapter 13 and we will first read 18 through 21 he talks about a mustard seed which is a very small Seed. We're gonna see what Jesus has to say here. We'll read it and then we'll give you the, the main point in a in a moment. He talking about Jesus, he said, therefore, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So that's our first section of scripture that we're going to look at. And basically, at the core, this is saying that God's kingdom will grow. Now, there are different forms of God's kingdom, and at the end, there will be the kingdom of God, where Christ returns and reigns for a thousand years. But in this age, there's a form where, if we think of what the kingdom of God is, it's where the king rules. And in one sense, the king rules over everything, even those that don't acknowledge his rulership. But there are those of us that we do acknowledge that he rules, we bend the knee to Jesus Christ. We acknowledge him not only as our Savior, but as our, as our Lord. And in doing that, we are saying that, Lord, you will rule over my life. We come out of rebellion against him and come into willingness to accept him as our, as our Lord and our master and his rule in our lives. And that's part of that salvation process, repentance from our rebellion and accepting him as our Savior and, and our Lord. And so he rules in us, and us individually and collectively, that's what the, the local church and the church is. That we believe that Jesus Christ is the head of this church. Uh, that, that he rules here. And so when Jesus is talking and saying, what is the kingdom of God like? He is saying that, it, well, it's, it's like a grain of mustard seed. It's very, very small seed. It's starting off very small. But there's going to be growth that takes place. And at this time, there's Christ. There's a few apostles. And there's others that are following along. A lot of them will just abandon. But Jesus is preparing them for some tough times where it's going to be just a few. But even in spite of of these hard times, the Lord is going to cause there to be growth. And it is going to go from this very humble beginning to uh, a peoples of God that is going to... um, spill beyond just those that it started with and beyond just the, the nation of Israel and going out to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles to eventually where we have it, where we have Christians on all, all continents. And we know there are still people groups out there that need the gospel, that need to be reached. Uh, but the, the message of Christ and the gospel has, has spread and spread and spread. So at the beginning, it has this uh, seemingly insignificant beginning, like this tiny little seed, and it grows uh, and becomes this tree uh, that the, all these birds are able to, to rest upon. You know, as we think of Christmas and uh, getting ready for that, you know, I think there's a Christmas cross over here. We think of the, the insignificant uh, beginning, even before this time, that we saw way back in the, in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. That Christ is coming down, the Son of God, the, the magnificent creator of this world, and coming down into a, being born as a baby. And not in a palace, but being born in, and laid in a manger. There was a prophecy 700 years before this by Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace and of the increase of his government and on peace there will be no end this passage talks about this this growth happening so that it compares it to a uh, the seed ends up being buried in the ground and becomes this tree. And it says the birds of the air made nests on its branches. And the hearers here, they probably would have remembered a few things from, from the Old Testament that would have stood out to them. And from this, we'll see the seed will grow into a tree with, with room for all. And part of it is all, all kinds of birds. There's a passage in Ezekiel 17 that says this, verse 22 and 23, Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost its young twig, a tender one, and I will plant it on the high, on a high and lofty mountain, on the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. So we see here all kinds of these different birds that the gospel is going to spread. It's, it's no longer going to be just for uh, the people of Israel, but it's going to spread to the, to the Gentiles. And after Jesus, um, after the resurrection and before he ascends, in Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We're going to see some passages on Jerusalem a little bit later that's where this is going to start but it's not going to stay there it's going to spread and in all Judea and Samaria it's going to spread the Samaritans which were these half Jews and the the Jews hated them but the gospel is going to spread to them and not just there and it says and to the ends of the earth the gospel is going to keep going and going and that's why also we continue to support missionaries we continue to send People hear that maybe God lays it on your heart to be involved in, maybe to go into missions, because we realize that there are still people that need to hear this message as well. So, this message, the God's kingdom is going to grow. This is very optimistic. Uh, at the same time, we can't, we don't want to read more in here than this passage tells us. Jesus also compares it to like leaven, like yeast, that. It gets put into the dough, and it just it permeates, and it, 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 it uh, almost invisibly you know, it changes and works its way throughout the rest of the dough. So we see this. Now this might, if we said this, lead us to be very optimistic. And you could look and say, great, it's going to spread. It's going to spread to everywhere, to everyone. So this must mean that everyone is good. Everyone will go to heaven, right? Because we, God loves everyone and, and there's uh, salvation provided. Well, that's where we read the next passage, too. Because we need to take all of Scripture and put all of these things together. So let's, let's keep reading. And this next part it's going to talk about a narrow door. In verses 22 through 30. He went on his way through towns and villages... Teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. By the way, remember, we were calling this section of Luke, this series, uh, Journey to Jerusalem. And that's because when we started this, Luke Volume 2, Jesus had uh, started his travel towards Jerusalem. And we're going to keep going with this until, uh, God willing, Palm Sunday, Jesus will arrive at Jerusalem. So here he's, he's on his way. Verse 23 And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? So here's a question. Jesus replies, And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and he will answer to you, I do not know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, we we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And the people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some of the last who will be first and some of the first who will be last. So here Jesus is talking about this, uh, this narrow Door. The door is narrow and few will be saved. See, the Jews at the time, they had different assumptions. They they believed that um, really all but the very worst of the Jews uh, would be saved. They thought, well, God loves the Jewish people and we're all going to be saved. There might be some exceptions for the really, 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 really bad ones. Of course, not us—the re- the really bad ones. Uh, but most, they're they're going to be saved. And I think too, this is something that speaks to us today because today, I mean, most Americans, I think, assume that that God's going to save pretty much everyone. They assume everyone's everyone's good. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to go to uh, most funerals across the land where they actually, you know, think that uh, the de- the departed is an- anywhere but but heaven and. Uh, they may have some strange view of heaven. He's, you know, up playing golf, and that's heaven to him. People have all these these strange views, but in America as well too, we think you know only the few really bad people uh, don't make it. But we see Jesus here saying that the gate is narrow. Now in this passage, he doesn't exactly answer their question. Their question was, "Will few be saved?" And instead, he points it more to them and their responsibility. He says, the, the door is narrow, and you make sure that you are going through the door. And he doesn't, in this passage, the way that Luke records it, specifically answer that question. But from other things that Jesus has said, we do know he's saying that both the door is narrow and that, that there are few that will be saved. Because in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus says this. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. If you've read Pilgrim's Progress or the ladies going through that in their Sunday school class, you know, pilgrim had to, had to go through the, the narrow gate. And so in these passages, it's saying both the, the, the way the gate is, is narrow and those who find it are, are few. Again, the Jews thought they would be saved because they were from the right people. They were from the right nation. They were from the right family. And there's way too many in this land that think that they're saved because maybe they're from the right nation. We're Americans, of course. That means God loves us more than anyone. And, and of course, he's gonna, He's just going to check our passport, right? When we get to heaven, oh, you're an American. Well, I, I love Americans. You come on in. That's not how it's going to be. Many people today assume that they're from the right family, and therefore they're good. Well, our families, we've gone to church for our whole lives. You know, Mom and Dad brought us up, and Grandma and Grandpa, they brought us up. We're a church-going family, and uh, we 've even gone to the Baptist Church, so of course we 're just automatically good that 's not how it is either we 're not saved by being in the right nation we 're not saved by being in the in the right family instead of each of us have to go through the narrow gate and let me let me suggest this I think that gate is narrow, and you go through it one at a time. And I wish I could just grab the hands of everyone and my, my whole family and everyone around me and extended family and gather you all up and we'll just link hands and pull together through and if you don't want to go through, we'll pull you through. But you know what? We, we go through one at a time. Each person has to make their own, uh, their own decision, their own choice, their own, from their heart, will to, to go through this, to, to have their own faith, to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because in verse 23, it says we need to strive to enter. Verse 24 actually says strive to enter through the narrow door. And the word strive, maybe in a different translation, it might say to make every effort. And it's from actually a word in Greek that sounds like our word agonize. That we get our word agonize from this. That it's something that we have to, to... to strive to go through. Now, let me clarify. This is not teaching that we get to heaven through good works or for trying real hard. Jesus isn't teaching that. But he's teaching that we, we need to we need to be careful. We need to not be careless. You're not going to get to heaven through good works, but carelessness isn't going to help you either. Just going through life carelessly, thinking, well, I'm good, I'm in the right family, I've, I've done some good things, I'm not that bad. Carelessness is not going to help you either. We want to be very careful. You want to make sure that you have a saving relationship with God. And the offer is there. The door is, is open for now. But that is not going to be open forever. Forever. And that's what, is what this is teaching as well, that this offer has an expiration date. How many here have ever had a, a gift certificate or a coupon or something, and you were saving it, you're using it, and you went to use it, and you realized it was expired? Has that ever happened? Like, oh, what? It, was, it was this great thing or great offer, and you just didn't look to realize there was an expiration date. Now you couldn't use it. I mean, you've been given the greatest gift ever. You know, that somebody else paid for. And sometimes you get that as a Christmas gift. They pay for this gift certificate at a restaurant or something, and they pay the price, and you'd have it, but you let it expire. You know, that offer of salvation, it has an expiration date. We see that taught here, that after Jesus saying, Strive to enter through the narrow door. says, For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And once the master of the house has has risen and shut the door, there's a time now the door is no longer open. You begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And it's too late at this point. Hebrews nine twenty-seven says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. The door is still open for you now because you're alive and breathing. But the moment that you die and you don't know when that's going to be, the, the door for you is closed. At any moment, Christ could return. We need to, you need to go through the door now because you don't know how long it is going to be open and it will not be open, it won't be open forever. You know, and that's why we want to be pleading with people to go through now. You know, we have Christmas time and uh, we want to be reaching out with the gospel of Christ. Maybe, maybe there's people that you can invite next week to the special service. You know, bring him to breakfast with you. Bring him to the church service so they can, they can hear the message. They can hear about the invitation that we're going to talk about uh, next week. The invitation to come to the Lord. That the whole incarnation is for this invitation that God is, is giving to us. But some of these people are going to be shocked. Uh, we see this in the passage that they, maybe some, they had been around Jesus. They thought they had a right relationship And they try to plead their case, saying, uh, hey, we, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. He will say, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. It's one thing to be around Christianity, to be around church, to have heard the message, but just hearing the message isn't the same thing as going through the door. You have to respond, and you actually have to go through the door and come to Christ be drawn by him through that door so just because you've been going to Sunday school just because you have Christian friends you've heard things you need to respond in the right way with a, with a heart of faith trusting in him alone as your savior and for those that don't it says there's going to be there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth this is going to be there's going to be sorrow regret you know scripture speaks of conscious, eternal torment for those that die without a Savior. It's horrible. But it also says at the end here, there are many that, at the time, the Jews would have considered to be outsiders, but they're going to find themselves in. There's going to be this great reversal, the, the last being first and many of the first being last. And many of those that thought, well, they're the good people, they're the ones right with God, they're the, uh, just the cream of the crop. They're going to find that they're cut off from the kingdom of God because they didn't have faith, they didn't respond in the right way. And many that maybe lived hard lives that were coming out of a lot of sin. And here it's referring to the Gentiles, uh, the the non-Jews that the gospel spreads to, that they're going to be coming to to faith. Let me just say this as we pull this together, because this can be a hard thing for many of us to accept. Because we think if it was just me, I just fly open the gates and just let everyone in, and uh, just uh, just have uh, you know such a big uh, you know gate that it's, it's basically you know no borders and and everyone just gets saved. Let me say this: Don't be upset that the door is narrow. Be thrilled that there is a door. Okay, don't be upset that the door is narrow. Be thrilled that there is a door at all. Because God didn't owe us any access into his kingdom. We are rebels. We are sinners. We are spiritual traitors against the Lord. Yet he made a way for us to come and have relationship, to have salvation with him. And if we think about this more, uh, first, we recognize God didn't owe us a door at all. He could have just been perfectly righteous and holy, which he is, and said, you blew it. And so you depart from me because you're, you're sinners. And that would have been fair. And none of us could have complained and said God was treating us unfairly. But, but he made a door. He made an opening. He made a way for us to come in. And so we want to be thrilled that there is a way in and not only that, because it'd be one thing if there was a way in, but we don't know about it. Okay, there's, it's like playing some video game where there's a secret entrance and you have to find the, the correct you know, invisible block that you go through so you can find your way in and you have to bump against all these walls and uh, you tap around to eventually find the way in. But it's not like that. You know, what if it was like a, a game show where there are all these doors, and you could you could pick one of them, and behind it is the grand prize. There's a you know a pile of gold or a new car, but behind the other ones, you know, you open the wrong door and there's a hungry tiger, and it just jumps out. So you got there's thousands of doors. It's not like that. Jesus is standing. He said, "The door here it is. I'm telling you where it is. Listen to me." God has, has told us the way in. In John chapter 14, 5-6, it says this, Thomas said to him, to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus replies and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I, I am the door, I am the access, I am the way. And I'm the only way, but I am the way, and I want you to come. I'm inviting you to come. And finally, when we consider the price of salvation, it makes sense that there's o- only one way, that there's only one door. Now, Oprah Winfrey might think that there's all these paths to heaven. And so many of these people out there might, might think that and insist on that because that's, that's their view. But they don't understand. They don't understand that we have a holy God. And they don't understand that we are really sinful down to the core of our being. And they don't understand the price that had to be paid. That the only way this could happen for the Son of God to become the God-man and to live that perfect life in our place, to die a death on the cross, Jesus is going to talk about this. When you consider that that's the price that had to be paid, yeah, it makes sense that that's the one way to get to heaven. There aren't thousands of ways. There's not multiple ways. There's, there's no other Savior. And if there is, why did Jesus bother doing what he did? He did it because that was the only way for God to still be holy and for us to be able to come in. Finally, so we've said the door is narrow and few will be saved. We say, well, what is part of the reason for that? Why is it that few will be saved And this last section, I think, it does a few things, but it gives us an answer to that as well. So let's read this last section. It's going to talk a lot about Jerusalem here. Verse 31. At the very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox... Behold, I cast out demons and performed cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finished my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Then speaking about Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And when the Lord repeats a name like that, he's intending this to be something from his heart, something very intimate. Martha, Martha, and Peter, Peter. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her her brood, her chicks under her wings. And you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The, the door is narrow. It says a few will find it and, and be saved. But here it tells us part, gives us part of the reason. There's a wide offer, and God is offering this. But the reason that few will be saved is because they are unwilling and refuse Christ's saving love. So working through this, in verse 31, we see the Pharisees coming, and they're warning Jesus. That seems very unPharisee like from the things that we've learned about them. They're pretty much against Jesus, so why are they helping him out here? And the text doesn't really tell us for sure. Herod uh, was the the king. He ruled mostly in Galilee in the north. And so it could be that maybe they were trying to flush Jesus down to Jerusalem because they knew they had more power there. Maybe they knew that that would be a good opportunity for, for them to get him and for Jesus to be killed. And it also seems, you can ask yourself, how did the Pharisees, where did they get this intel from? Seems like they're in some kind of communication with Herod. Because Jesus responds and said, you go tell Herod, you go tell that fox. He calls him a fox. And so there's kind of three things calling him a fox. Uh, first of all, uh, foxes are deceivers. You know, they're, they're, they're tricky, they're They're sly. It's not their, their power that they have, but they're, they're, they're cunning and, and tricky and deceitful. They're destroyers, okay? You don't want the foxes getting in your, into your chickens. Uh, you know, nobody's like, oh, those helpful foxes. No, it's the foxes are coming and they're, they're messing with your, uh, your little animals. But also, they're, they're not all that significant in the grand scheme of things. So in a way, too, this is a put-down on Herod. You know, a fox is not like a lion, Okay, you know, you can be annoyed by a fox, you know, but you're not going to be scared of it the way that you're scared of a lion. And so Jesus is replying, he's saying, you know what? I'm not going to let this fox tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I need to here when I need to, and when it's my time, I am going to Jerusalem, and it's because I'm headed there and I have my purposes. You know, but but that fox isn't going to tell this lion what to do. Okay, this, this fox of Galilee isn't going to tell the lion from the tribe of Judah what he needs to do. Jesus is not being intimidated. And let me give an application to you here. Christian, you, little Christ, Christ follower. Christians, as we're becoming more and more like Christ, in the same way, Christian, you don't be intimidated either by evil men, by people in the world that want to intimidate you to push you to do what they want you to do for their agendas. Christ refused to be intimidated. Let's become like him and through his strength and power not be intimidated either. That's hard at times. It is. But we'll ask him for strength. Jesus was going to head to Jerusalem. And he's basically saying Jerusalem has kind of a monopoly on prophet killing. I mean, that's where prophets go to die. In a sense, Jesus realized he, he is dead man walking. I mean, this, he's going to Jerusalem. He's going there this time. Uh, he's going there to die, and that's his purpose. When we celebrate Christmas, he was coming so that he could make this, this last march to Jerusalem, and he could die on the cross and do what he came to do. As we celebrate Christmas, remember that Christmas really is for Good Friday and for Easter. Some of the world thinks that Jesus just came to give us a good example. We follow that, and we're good. If Jesus only came to give us a good example, we would all go to hell. Because that doesn't pay for our sin. Because we come into this world not following his example. And we could try our best to mend our ways and follow his example, and that doesn't pay for our sins. The Christmas gift that Jesus came into this world to give, he would need th- that would need to be paid for and paid for on the cross in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And because of Christ's perfect love, nothing was going to stop his march to Jerusalem for him to do what he came to do. And we also see here in verse 34, it says he he desires to gather the children of Jerusalem together. You see this. you this You see this compassion, this tenderness of Jesus. Even though it's a city that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it. He said, How often would I have gathered your children together and he, he does a comparison here. He's like, like, a, like a hen, like a bird, gathering its chicks under its wings. Keep them safe, keep them secure. I mean, that's the intimate relationship that God wants with us. That if you've responded to him in faith, he, he draws you into that safety and that security, that intimate relationship. And that's open to the rest of Jerusalem. But it says they don't come because they would not. They, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't respond. It's because of, because of their will. It comes from their heart. Because of Jesus' great compassion and determination to go to the cross, the way of salvation is open. It's open now for all who are willing to come to him. But the thing is, we're not willing to come to him. That's why people are lost, because they're not willing to come. Those that are lost will be lost because they're not willing. There's no one out there that's willing and wants to come and somehow is being prevented from that. And so we're not willing. And I'll tell you this. We know this as Christians. God worked in our heart. He changed our heart to make us willing, so we did come to him. But if he had left us as it is, if he had just hands off, we would have willingly chosen to stay away forever. And it would have been our fault because it's coming from our heart. But Jesus is willing, more than willing, to save any that come to him, all that come to him. An application for Christians here. You see Jesus' heart, you see his compassion. Do our hearts break for the lost? In the way that we see Jesus' heart break, breaking for the lost here you know here we jesus is the god man and so you have divinity united with humanity so in jesus we see perfect divine goodness perfect divine love intensely manifested through the emotional capabilities of a genuine human being we see that in the incarnate jesus christ we see that the, the Lord, yes, he is sovereign over salvation, but he is not gleeful over anyone who is lost. We see the depth of his compassion. Christians, do our hearts break for the lost as well. And of course, the application for non-Christians, come to Christ. The, the way is open now. It, it won't be forever, but Christ had to come and, and die on the cross so that that way would be open. You can come, you can have a relationship with him. He will save you. He will not cast you out. He's already paid the entrance fee. You just have to, by faith, by trusting, come through, come through Jesus Christ to be saved by him. So yes, yeah, the way to salvation is, is narrow. But right now, it is, it is open. So go through it while you have the chance. Go through it and find the love of Jesus Christ who went to Jerusalem to die on a cross to pay for your sins and to take you into his arms and to keep you safe forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the teachings that you have in this passage that are both hard and comforting, Lord God to realize that the the way of salvation is, is narrow. We can't come to you any old way we want, through a way of our choosing, Lord God. And that if we try to do that, or if we just refuse to come, that there's a terrible future in store. But God, we thank you for the fact that there is a door, there is a way, and that all are invited to come through it no matter what anyone is like in this room, no matter their background, no matter their heritage, no matter what sins that they struggle with, Lord God, that you invite us all to come through that narrow door and to come to you into your waiting arms to be received forever into your love. We thank you for that. We thank you for your deep and amazing love, Jesus Christ. Move in our hearts. Draw us to yourself, Lord God. Take the unwilling and make them willing. We pray this. For your glory, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.